And so tonight, we're going to continue through our 7% series. And um, the first two weeks, Coach went through Nehemiah 1 and Nehemiah 2. And we talked about, are we willing to weep for our city? Why not Memphis Part 1? Are we willing to weep for our city? Um, are we willing to care for our city? And then we went into week two, and we talked a lot about calling. You know, Nehemiah has this calling to go rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And Coach walked us through how our calling takes time, how our calling it's not for us, but it's for Christ. And tonight, we're going to pick up in Nehemiah 4. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I hope you have your Bibles. Open up with me to Nehemiah 4. We're going to, we're going to dive right in because as I was studying, I, I talked to Coach about this. This is a beast of a passage, and we have a lot of content to go through. But, hey, this, I'm, I'm excited about that because we're walking through Scripture tonight. And if, you, if you're taking notes tonight, I, if you're taking notes, man, we love that because we want you to not take, just hear this message and forget about it the rest of the week, but we want you to hear God's word and apply it to the rest of your week because then that's when you start to see the rest of your week change. And so if you're taking notes tonight, the title of our message tonight is How to Defeat the Discouragement. How to Defeat the Discouragement. And for many of us as college students, I know we, we know what it feels like to be discouraged. Each of us have been discouraged in our life. In Nehemiah, in chapter 4 tonight, we're going to see he had a chance to be discouraged. But he did some different things. He, he reacted and responded to discouragement a little differently. And I think we can, we can definitely learn from Nehemiah and what he did tonight. And you know the view, man. Me and, me and Coach, we love sermons in a sentence. And so the sermon in the sentence for tonight is this right here. In the midst of God's work, we have to actively prepare, plan, and pursue God in the midst of God's work. So in the midst of us going to reach the 7%, our college, our college peers, our professors, or family, or friends, anybody around us, what we have to do is we have to actively prepare, plan, and pursue God. And tonight, as we walk through Nehemiah 4, we're going to see how Nehemiah prepared, how we planned, and how he continued to pursue God. But before we read God's word, I'd love to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in because we've got a lot of scripture to walk through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're good, Lord, and God, we thank you for you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for the burial, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, God, because we get to have a chance. We have a chance at a relationship with you because of what your son has done for us on the cross, God. And right now, I pray you would just come down and you would meet with us in this room, Lord. God, I know we have homework assignments, we have quizzes, we have exams to study for, Lord. Sororities have just finished up recruitment week. Fraternities are going into recruitment week, God. Sports are picking up, bands picking up, God, Lord. There's a lot going on in college students' lives, God. But right now, I just pray we'd be present right here, Lord. God, that you would remove all distractions. You would ease our minds, you would calm our minds, Lord, and you'd give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. God, give us the peace of God. Give us the peace of you, Lord. And God, I pray if students came in tonight with baggage or with a storm, a battle, God, I pray that they would talk to somebody tonight, God, because we would hate for them to leave the same way they came in, God. And Lord, if, no, if somebody in here doesn't know Jesus, God, Lord, I pray you would open the eyes of their heart, God, Lord, that they would repent of their sins, that they would believe that you died on the cross for them because you love them. And it doesn't stop there, God, but you were resurrected from the grave and we get to serve and live for an active and a breathing God, Lord, because of what you've done for us. God, speak, through, work through us tonight, God, and be here, meet with us tonight. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So starting off in Nehemiah 4, we're going to work through verses 1 through 14 tonight. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1 tonight. God's word says, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. 
He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was behind him, said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he wouldn't break, he would break down their stone wall. So point number one for us tonight is we have to prepare for discouragement. Nehemiah had to prepare for discouragement. As we reach the 7%, we have to prepare for discouragement. And from the beginning, we see Samballot was furious that Nehemiah and the Jews were rebuilding the wall. Samballot and Tobiah were first deeply disturbed when they heard about Nehemiah wanting to help Jerusalem in Nehemiah 2. And so going back to Nehemiah 2, verse 10 says this right here. When Samballot the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard that someone had come to pursue the prosperity of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. But not only that, we also learn in verse 2, That's where we first see that they were displeased about what Nehemiah and the Jews wanted to do. But after that, Tobiah and Samballot, they began to use intimidation to try and stop the work being done. Nehemiah 2, verse 19 says this right here. When Samballot the Hornite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and despised us and said, what is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And so now we pick up in chapter 4, and Samballot and Tobiah, they're really fired up now. They're mad because God's wall, the wall being built, is starting to make progress. And in verse 2, we see that they get mocked. The Jews are mocked before his people and ask the question of, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Samballot even challenges Nehemiah and the Jews by asking, can they restore this wall by themselves? And he continues to question them. Verses 1 through 3, you just see question. After question, will they offer sacrifices? And so Sambal and Tobiah, as I was studying, it's kind of come off as smart Alex. You know, they're just, they're being real. Just, can you do this? Are you going to do that? Is God going to show up for you? Are y'all even going to finish it? And this question right here, will they offer sacrifices? This gives off the idea of, will they seek God through sacrifice and expect him to miraculously build the wall? Will they pray the wall up? And then the question again, will they even finish it? This question has the idea of, do they know what they are taking on? They weren't taking on an easy task. In fact, this was a huge task to go rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And at the end of the day, all these questions were just attacks of discouragement. Nehemiah had to be prepared for these attacks of discouragement. In college students, as I was thinking and as I was studying, as we try and go reach the 7%, We're going to have attacks of discouragement come our way. And people who don't agree with how we live, people who don't agree with how Jesus has changed our lives, they're going to question what Jesus is doing in your life. And how they described the Jews in verse 2 was feeble. Or in my translation right here in my Bible, it says pathetic. They wouldn't be able to complete this task in a day. And what's crazy was they didn't even have the best material um, to work with for this task. But what Samballot and Tobiah didn't realize is that Nehemiah had God behind the whole process. And what's cool is, you know, what's crazy is their discouraging attack had some truth in it. You know, what Samballot and Tobiah, how they described the Jews, how they saw the work, probably didn't have the best material. You're right, it um, it had some truth in it. But it neglects the great truth. God was with them and has promised to see them through. 
And college students, for us, as we reach the 7%, as we reach our college, as our, reach our college campuses, God will see us through. God will give you every word to say. I love sharing the gospel. You know why? It's because I don't have to make it up. This right here, if we truly believe that we stand on this, we live out of this, we live for this, this is how we share the gospel, by being in our word, by praying, and by living it out. And because I, I love a pastor, uh, Robbie Gowdy out of Nashville says, when we get in the word, the word gets in us. And then when the word gets in us, when you have the word in you, then you can start living out the word. And so the question that I have for us college students that we have to ask ourselves, and I have to ask myself this as a senior too when I'm at Memphis, do we believe that God is behind us in reaching the 7%? When you're in your college classrooms and you have that, that stranger that you probably don't know come August 23rd, how many conversations have you had with them by December 4th when exam week comes around, when finals comes around? Did you get to know them? Do you believe that God can save them just like they, he saved you? Or the question we can ask is, are we going to let discouragement keep us from sharing the gospel with classmates or standing up for what we believe in. Because I know I hear a lot of people take philosophy. And I know philosophy classes are hard because those professors are sharing their opinions. They're not sharing truth. So when they talk about Jesus, they think, oh, Jesus was just a great prophet. Jesus was just a great t- teacher. But they don't realize and understand that Jesus is God and that Jesus can change their life too. But the question is, are we going to be obedient and stand up for truth, when I, even when it's hard. And, you know, there's a right way to do it. There's, we share truth f- faithfully, boldly, but also we have to do it in a loving way. We're not there to tear down our teachers or our professors or our classmates. No, but we are there to love them and share the love of Jesus with them because that's the greatest love story of all time is Jesus and what Jesus has done for them too because Jesus can save them too. But the question is, are we going to let that discouragement keep us from being obedient? Are we going to let that discouragement keep us quiet? And are we going to let the small attacks keep us from doing the work for a big God? Because, you know, these discouragements, they may seem big in our eyes, but to the God that we serve, these discouragements are itty-bitty nothing because he's bigger than those discouragements. And, again, he gives you right here, this right here gives you everything to share with people when it comes to sharing Jesus with them. This right here. If you, if you read this, if you study this, if you live out of this Bible right here, this is, the view didn't change my life. Nothing else changed my life besides Jesus, the word of God, him being the word of God. Jesus changed my life and Jesus can change your life and Jesus can change anybody's life. But the question is, do we believe that? And as we continue to read through these verses, In verse 3, we see Tobiah had to put his two cents in also. He said, even if a fox climbed up their wall, it would fall down. You know, Tobiah's like the sidekick of the bully, man. He like instigates the bully. And so he had to put his two cents in by saying, even if a fox climbed up their wall, it would fall down. But what's cool right here is Tobiah has made a huge mistake with this statement. As I was studying, this is what I learned. Um, Tobiah said the fox would tear down their wall. But the thing is, this isn't Nehemiah's wall or the Jews' wall. This is God's wall, and this is God's work. And so what Tobiah has done now, he's criticizing God's work, and that's a dangerous place to be in. Critics who bring nothing but discouragement often miss what God is doing because they don't like the wall. They can't believe it is God's work. 
Critics in our life, when they see Jesus doing something in our life, they'll miss what they're doing. They'll miss what God is doing because they don't like it. And in the same way the church is God's church, Jesus loves his bride. One should always be careful about the way you talk about Jesus' bride. We got to be careful about how we talk about what God is doing. Because there's weight to that. There's authority to that. And we have to humble ourselves to that. That's why I love, I love our pastor's heart about what's going on right here. Because he doesn't want to miss. And he pushes our team. And he's pushing. Now we're pushing you guys, the college students. Don't miss what God is doing right before you. Because we're having a front. We're sitting in a front row seat to college students getting saved, getting baptized right there in front of us. There's weight to that. Because they're passing over from death to life. They're going public, being obedient, saying, Jesus has changed me. Jesus has changed me. And it's the greatest change you'll ever experience. I guarantee that. It's the great, it, I, I, I fell in love with Jesus in college. And that's the only reason why I get to do what I do now. It's because Jesus changed my life. And you know, what's crazy is discouragement can be a powerful weapon because it's somewhat the opposite of faith. Faith believes in God's love and promises, but discouragement looks for and believes in the worst. It tends to pretty much forget about who God is and what he has promised to do. So I'm going to say that again. Faith believes in God's love and promises, but discouragement looks for and believes in the worst. When you're discouraged in your life, what Satan wants to do when he tries to discourage you, he wants to take your eyes and your heart off of Jesus and put your focus on that discouragement because now you're not thinking about Jesus. You're thinking that discouragement's bigger than the God you serve, but it's completely backwards. Imagine in the discouragement, you keep your eyes on Jesus and watch how the discouragement disappears. But here's the thing, Nehemiah and the, work, Nehemiah and the workers did, in fact, they had legal protection from the king. As I was studying this passage, it kept taking me back to Nehemiah 2, because this sets up all of Nehemiah 4. Nehemiah 2, verse 7 and 8 says this, I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates River, so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And let me have a letter written to Asphalt, Keeper of the king's force, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I will live. The king granted my request, for the gracious hand of God was on me. So as I was studying this, I learned Sanballat and Tobiah actually had no authority to stop the work. So what, what I read earlier about them asking, are you rebelling against the king? No, they're not, because they already, they already had the permission get granted to them. And so Sambal and Tobiah have no authority to actually stop this work. But all they could do was discourage the Jews into stopping. And as college students, we have the same attacks come into our life. But we have to remember, we have been legally set free by the king. And that's the king of kings. We have been set free by the king of kings. So the question is, how are we going to respond to that discouragement? When we get discouraged, are we going to stop doing what God's called us to do? Or in that discouragement, are we going to keep our eyes on God and keep chasing after him so we're obedient, for to, so we're obedient to do what he's called us to do? And the question I ask myself is, what discouragement in my life keeps me from doing what God has called me to do? And I pose the same question to y'all. What discouragements in your life keep you from what God is calling you to do. Because, you know, going back to discouragement versus faith, think about this. We work differently under faith versus discouragement, don't we? 
You, you walk a little differently. You act a little differently when you're walking in faith or when you're feeling discouraged. You pray differently under faith. When you're praying faithful prayers, when you're praying faithfully, you'll pray differently than you do when you pray in discouragement. What about reading the word? When, you, when you're walking faithfully with the Lord, you read the word differently in faith versus discouragement. I, I know I do. It's, it, again, it changed my life. But the, the thing is, no wonder Satan works so hard to keep us from faith and keep us in discouragement. Because Satan wants to keep us from the work that God has set before us. Satan wants to keep you from doing what God's called you to do. But the question is, are you, are you going to actively prepare against that? In Hebrews 10, verse 38 and 39, reads this right here. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. And as I was studying, I just looked up the definition of discouragement to give me, because I know what discouragement is, but, you know, sometimes seeing the dictionary definition, it gives you a clearer picture of it. And um, Webster, love Webster Dictionary, it helped me out. This is how it defines discouragement. It is defined as a loss of confidence or enthusiasm or an attempt to prevent something by showing disapproval or creating difficulties. And so I believe this definition fits perfectly with Nehemiah's situation and the Jews' situation. Sambal and Tobiah, they want them to lose confidence. They want to take their enthusiasm, and they're attempting to prevent something happening, the wall being built, because they disprove of it, and they're trying to create difficulties. And for me, I think about a time I was discouraged. Um, and it's a real simple time. I remember it was back in middle school. Middle school Dakota was a little overweight. Middle school Dakota was a little awkward. You know, coach showed a picture of himself uh, from his younger days a few weeks ago. And I thought about doing that, but I figured I'd spare y'all because, man, I, I was an ugly little kid. Being overweight, being awkward, and redhead. My, my hair's lightened up over the years, but I mean fire red. Like, you couldn't you could miss me. When I walked in the room, people would say, that's some red hair. So very bad, com- very bad combination, being overweight, being awkward, and being a redhead. I, man, I hold on to being a redhead now. I love it. We need more redheads in this world. Gingers, I love them. Um, just confidence, right? But I think about this time I was discouraged. And, man, it was in middle school. I remember my sixth grade year, I went to Elmore Park Middle School. And I played Go Eagles. Once an eagle, always an eagle. <laughs> um, I tried out for the basketball team. You know, as a kid, everybody has dreams as a kid, and uh, my dream was to be in the NBA. As you can see, that was short-lived, and that changed very quickly. It's okay, though. God had a different story for me, and I love it. Um, but I knew I could play basketball um, at Elmore Park Middle School. because I, I knew the coach. My brother played ball there, and I knew I had a chance to play basketball. But what's crazy is not only was I overweight, I couldn't use my right hand. And Coach Daniel even said today I struggle with using my right hand. He ain't lying. I'm a lefty. Force me right, you, you, might, you might beat me. Because um, I remember in this moment, we were in tryouts, in sixth grade tryouts, because since I was overweight, I was already a little slower. So, I mean, these kids were killing me in the down and backs. And, I mean, we had this little back door in the back of the gym because it was a hot gym, no AC. And, man, it, you, if the door was open, somebody was thrown up for sure. But I remember going down the right side of the court, doing a right-handed layup. I dribbled with my left hand the whole way down. And I laid it over my left hand. My coaches didn't like that. But going into this, I'm not going to say the coach's name. It wasn't Coach Daniel to clear, clear this up. But since I was overweight, this coach, he used to tell me, he said, red, the only shape you know is round. <laughs> Discouraged, right? 
I'll take it a step further. My nickname, my sixth grade year, I had a couple of nicknames in middle school basketball. One of them was Red Robin. And when the coach said Red Robin, I had to reply, yum. I mean, 6, 6 a.m. in the morning, Red Robin, yum. Again, I was overweight too, so I think he was picking at me. But that was a different, that was a different coach. I got made fun of, I'm telling you. Take it a step further. The coach that said the only shape I know is round, he called me fat boy. I, now, luckily, when I talk about fat now, it's faithful, available, teachable, amen. So it's, amen. But, but, back, but back, back then, back then, I didn't know that. I was just out of shape, overweight, slow, and things like that. And so, man, in middle school, I was sixth grade. And I'm going to be honest, I was like, dang, man, he's not, let, he's not letting up on me. And it was in this moment, I was super discouraged. And going back to our definition of discouragement, I lost enthusiasm. I lost confidence. And I honestly, I lost my desire. I really didn't want to try out to play, play ball anymore because if I was just going to get called that all season long. I didn't want to go to practice. But it was in this moment I learned something. I would either allow the discouragement to kill my desire to play basketball or I could allow the desire to play basketball kill the discouragement. And in the same way, we have to allow our desire for God to kill Satan's discouragement in our lives. Don't allow discouragements to kill your desire for God, but allow the desire for him to kill Satan's discouragement. When you're feeling discouraged, would you pray for encouragement? Because I'm telling you, you want to be encouraged, go read the Gospels. Go read what Jesus did for you. If you're feeling discouraged, go encourage somebody else. Because sometimes when we're feeling discouraged, it's because our eyes are on us, look at me, look at me, but we're missing all the people around us. And I bet if you go encourage somebody else, somebody will come encourage you. And we don't do it for that reason. We don't go encourage somebody to be encouraged. But if you're feeling discouraged, there's ways to get rid of that discouragement. And what I learned as a, as a sixth grade basketball player was, I either allowed that to take my desire from basketball away or I allowed my desire for basketball to push that discouragement away. And just to let you know how the story went, I lost weight my seventh grade year, praise the Lord, and I went into eighth grade tryouts. And this is when I met Coach Daniel. I did one move, the up and under, and I killed everybody. I mean, demolished everybody. PJ was at that tryout too. He, rem- he remembers. And so... And, it, and it's, I could have gave up in that moment and not tried out, but I, again, I allowed my desire for basketball to kill that discouragement. And it's the same way we say, as we go reach the 7%, Satan is going to discourage you. But that discouragement cannot be bigger than your desire for God. Something I pray for myself and for each of you every day is that your desire for God would grow every single day. That's why I pray that we would fall madly in love with Jesus and fall madly out of love with the world because the world has nothing to offer you like Jesus has to offer you. Jesus is so much better. But the question is, do you have a desire to know him? Do you have a desire to grow closer to him? Because I guarantee you, as that desire for Jesus grows and you spend more time in his word, you spend more time in prayer, I guarantee you that faith in him continues to grow too. Because that's how, that's how it's meant to, it's a relationship. You don't have to. It's not a have to. You get to. I love, I love when Coach illustrates, Jesus came to us so we could get to him. It's not us climbing to him so he gets to us. It's, that's prideful. That's backwards. 
fall madly in love with Jesus. And living a countercultural life is going to bring criticism. And so the question I ask is, how are we going to respond to criticism? In our next verses, Nehemiah sets a great example for how we are to deal with the critics in our life. Look with me in your Bibles, Nehemiah 4, and we're going to read verses 4 through 6 next. God's word says, listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. Verse 6 right here. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had the will to keep working. Not only do we have to prepare for discouragement, but number two, we have to plan with prayer. The greatest plan we can have as we go reach our college campuses for Jesus is praying over our college campuses. Pray for your college campus. Pray for your classmates. Pray for your professors to come to know Jesus. And in these next verses we read, we see how Nehemiah immediately responds. In verse 4 and 5, Nehemiah responds with a request before the Lord. He asks that their insults would return on their heads and that they would be taken as plunder. Nehemiah realizes that God has given him a work to do, and for that work to be done, God will fight his battles. College students, God will fight your battles on your college campuses. Nehemiah asks that their guilt wouldn't be covered and that their sin wouldn't be erased from God's sight because they angered the builders. And as I was studying, I came across Jeremiah 18, 23, and it says this right here, but you, Lord, know all their deadly plots against me. Do not wipe out their iniquity. Do not blot out their sin before you. Let them be forced to stumble before you. Deal with them in the time of your anger. And as we see for Nehemiah, prayer was a first resource, not a last resort. Nehemiah used prayer as a first resource and not as a last resort. And when times of opposition come, God wants us to rely on him. The purest way of expressing our reliance on God is through prayer. The purest way of expressing our reliance on God is through prayer. College students, what what do our prayer lives look like? Do we get alone with God and do we get face down before the Lord and talk to him? Let him know what's going on in your heart. He knows. He wants to hear from you. And I can't help but think about Jesus in the garden when it comes to true reliance on God through prayer. In Matthew 26, we see how Jesus responds right before he is about to go to the cross. And I'm going to flip in my Bible to Matthew 26, and I'm going to start reading in verse 36, and it should be on the screen as well. And this is what God's word says in Matthew 26. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed. He fell face down and prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed. 
my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Even in Jesus' biggest trial, his reliance on God was the same. Jesus, as he was going before the cross to take on the sins of the world, he prayed to the Father and asked God, your will be done. College students, do we have that same reliance on God in our opposition? Are we only going to rely on God when things are going our way? It's easy to rely on God when things are going our way, when life seems smooth and when it's easy. But when life gets a little rocky, when things get thrown at us, do we still rely on God the same way? And when it comes to opposition, we don't run from it, but we run to God in it. In your opposition, don't run away from it, but run to God in your opposition. Because, again, he's gonna, he fights your battles for you. The question is, do you believe that your God is fighting for you? And this prayer has to be seen in the light of Nehemiah's other prayers. He has so identified himself with God and his will that he knew his enemies were God's enemies. And what's cool is, as I was studying, this goes all the way back to Abraham. This goes all the way back to Genesis 12, when God had promised Abraham that those who cursed him would be cursed. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And this prayer still allows vengeance to be the Lord's, for Nehemiah did not take revenge. Deuteronomy 32, 35 reads, vengeance and retribution belong to me. In in time, their foot will slip, for their day of disaster is near, and their doom is coming quickly. I'm going to be honest, college students, as I was reading this, this prayer seems tough. Like Nehemiah went before the Lord, and he asked for some things to happen. But what's even tougher is we see prayers like this throughout the Psalms. Psalm 58, 6 reads, God, knock knock the teeth out of their mouth. Lord, tear out the young lion's fangs. Psalm 69, 25, make their fortification desolate. May no one live in their tents. And what's crazy is this is a proper prayer for Nehemiah to pray because he is giving his violent inclinations. He's giving his anger over to God and letting him deal with them. But don't miss this. Nehemiah isn't praying evil over his enemies. Nehemiah is not praying evil over his enemies. But what he's doing, he's turning them over to a good and just God because he knows exactly what to do with them. God knows exactly what to do with the enemies here in Nehemiah 4. And this prayer shows that Nehemiah asked God to battle their enemies for them. And God has given him a work to do, and he would not be distracted from it. In verse 6, we see the builders continue to work. Praise God. Even in trial and opposition, the builders had the will to keep working. Do we have the will to keep working even when it gets hard? Even when sharing the gospel with college students, with your professors, your family, your friends, when it gets hard, do you still have the will to share with them? Because this is exactly what Satan wants to destroy with his attacks, a will to work. If Satan can get you to stop working, then he's winning. But if you keep working, the devil loses. 
but that comes from prayer, that comes from pursuing God. Don't let the devil keep you from doing God's work because that's when you're discouraged, when you stop doing God's work. You're discouraged when you stop doing God's work and then you're sitting there wondering why you're not encouraged. But think about this, when you do God's work and you're glorifying God, that's the most joyful you are in your life. When you're doing things for the Lord and glorifying his name, not your personal name, because our name passes away. But when you glorify and lift up the name of Jesus, when his name increases and yours decreases, you live a little differently. You walk a little differently. You share more faithfully. You pray more faithfully. And that's because you're glorifying Jesus because he's worthy of that all. He's worthy of all praise, all glory, all honor because what he's done for us on the cross. Praise God. Yeah, make noise for that. Jesus loves you. Hear me say that. Jesus loves you. And he died on a cross for your sins. And he didn't stop there, but he was resurrected from the grave to show that he conquers sin, that he's over sin, that he defeated sin. And Satan wants us to feel defeated. He wants us to feel passive. He wants us to be self-focused. Like I said earlier, when, man, look at me, look at me, woe is me. And he wants us to be discouraged. But Nehemiah's prayer asked God to take care of his enemies, and God answered by taking care of his people. We often miss God's answer of our prayers because we pray for him to do a work in the lives of others we are in conflict with. And he answers by moving in our lives, but we resist that moving. Don't resist what God's doing in your life. And I encourage, I'm, a, I'm a terrible journaler, so as I encourage you to do this, I'm working on this myself. I would encourage you to journal what God does in your heart. Journal your prayers. Because you know what's cool about that is when God answers your prayers, you get to go back and look how God's answered your prayers. So, and I'm working on this myself. I, I journal, I try, I shoot for twice a week because, man, the God, God does a lot on a daily basis, but we miss it. And if we don't, and what's cool is when you journal it, it helps you not to forget it. Even your, ta- my very first journal, when I first started journaling, I lived with Tyler Oliver. And I remember he's the one who encouraged me to journal when we were roommates my first journal was my testimony. And I just wrote out that moment that I gave my life to Jesus. As detailed as possible, I tried to write out every single thing I could remember about when I gave my life to Jesus. And when I go back and read it now, it is so refreshing because it's all about Jesus. He changed my life, and he can change your life too. And as, as we continue to work through Nehemiah 4, I'm going to pick back up in verse 7. I'm going to read through uh, verse 14. God's word says, When Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites, the Ashadites, heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. Look what they did. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. In Judah it was said, The strength of the laborers fails since there is so much rubble. We will never be able to rebuild the wall. We're going to talk about that. And our enemy said they won't realize it until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time and again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. 
So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons, and daughters, your wives, and homes. College students, not only do we prepare for discouragement, not only do we plan with prayer, but number three, we pursue God's work. That's what Nehemiah did. He pursued God's work in the midst of discouragement. After all the mocking and Nehemiah's response in prayer, we see the wall still progressing, and this made the mockers furious. This made the mockers furious. They were mocking them and tried everything they could to stop the wall from being built. And college students, I'm going to share this. Don't be shocked when people who oppose Jesus get mad at his work being done. Don't be shocked. In verse 8, we see they begin to plot against Jerusalem and wanted to throw them into confusion. On one hand, this is serious. The wall was built to protect against the attacks of violence. And now it's seen that the very building of the wall may prompt an attack to come. It would be very easy for the people to fear and to think perhaps all their work would be made useless. But on the other hand, this isn't serious at all. Notice they didn't attack. They just talked about it. Sam Bell and Tobiah, they were talkers. Sambal and Tobiah were hoping that the threat of the attack would be enough. Notice that about discouragement. They just threatened them to do it, and they thought that would be enough to stop the work. And Satan uses the same strategy of fear against us. And if we are paralyzed by a threat, the threat has worked. Another tactic of the enemy is confusion. We read about that in verses 7 through 14. A confused people will never move forward and fulfill God's work. They are usually confused because they are distracted by the tricks of their enemies instead of focusing on God and his promises. God allowed the attack to go on, even though he could have instantly swept it away. But what's cool about this is, don't miss this right here, but as the attack continued, this caused the people to draw closer to him with a deeper trust than before. God did his perfect work both in building the walls and his people. How cool is that? He could have taken away this discouragement, but this discouragement drove the people closer to God, and now the wall's being built, and the people are being built up in their trust in God. Verse 9, we continue to see the people begin to pray and plan how to protect God's work from the attack of the enemy. Our greatest protection in the attack is prayer. Your greatest protection when you're being attacked by the lies, the fiery darts, the discouragement of Satan is prayer. Prayer must be coupled with commitment and action. Our prayers do not replace our actions. They make our actions effective for God's work. Our prayers do not replace our actions. They make our actions effective for God's work. And in verse 10, we see Judah talk about the strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubble that they won't be able to finish the wall. Judah was supposed to, excuse me, Judah was supposed to be the strongest and bravest tribe. For this to come from Judah was a big discouragement. The work of rebuilding the wall was not only construction, but they had to clean away and haul away all the rubbish. And clearing away the rubbish was not an option. It had to be done so that the new wall can stand. And in our Christian life, nothing much can be built for God's glory unless rubbish is swept away. Verse 11, we see their enemies were willing to go to the point of killing them to stop the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. But as I was studying, this is a compliment. There's a compliment in this threat right here. Nehemiah's enemies knew the only way to get them to stop serving God and doing his work was to kill them. 
The threats didn't work. The discouragement didn't work. The only way they knew they could get the work to stop is that they killed them. Costumes, can that be said of us? That's a hard question to ask. Are we at the point in our faith that the only way we stop serving God is that we are dead? For many, the devil doesn't have to kill us because discouragement, compromise, money, relationships, frustrations, trouble, you, th- you fill in the blank. That's enough to get us from stop- stopping to serve God. To protect against the attacks in verse 13, Nehemiah stationed the people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. And what's cool is verse 14, Nehemiah makes an inspection and said to all the people to not be afraid. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight. We, we read something similar to this in Deuteronomy 1, verses 29 and 30. So I said to you, don't be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will fight for you, just as you saw him do for you in Egypt. These verses tell us what Nehemiah did, but we can also think about what Nehemiah could have done in this situation. He could have done nothing. He could have panicked, but instead he wisely and calmly trusted God in the midst of the storm. And Nehemiah also put their mind in the right perspective. The challenge was great, but he who was with them was greater than the challenge. God was greater, is greater than the challenge. And the question for us college students is, how are we going to respond to the attacks of discouragement? Because I know each of you go through discouragement. As college students, college is hard, I get it. I'm right there with you. It's hard. But as I fell in love with Jesus, I tell everybody this, college has been my favorite season of life because it's when I fell in love with Jesus. And the question is, are we going to let them keep us from serving the God that loves us to the point of death on the cross? And for some of us, the reason we don't know how to fight against discouragement is because we haven't accepted the greatest encouragement of all time. And that's Jesus. College students, we see Nehemiah, he prepared for the discouragement, he planned with prayer, and he continued to pursue God's work. And that's how he's able to defeat the discouragement. And for many of you in here, I'm going to invite the band back out here. Y'all can put y'all stuff away and just get into a posture of prayer. For many of us in here, we're discouraged. And first, I want to talk to the Christians in the room. I just want to ask. What's your prayer life look like? How's your Bible reading going? And hear me say, I'm not judging. I'm, I, str- I struggle. There's days I don't want to read. There's days I don't want to pray. But I know those are the days when I do it, even when I don't want to, I'm encouraged. There, there will never be a day you regret reading God's word or prayer. So Christians, do you want to stay in that discouragement? Or do you want to be encouraged because you, you know that Jesus loves you? You've repented of your sins and believed in Jesus. You've received him into your heart as your Lord and Savior. So why stay? Why stay in that discouragement? Don't keep your eyes on your discouragement. Put your eyes back on God and let that encourage you. But for my people in here that haven't accepted Jesus, I want to ask you the question, why not tonight? Starting at the beginning, starting at creation, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And what's cool, back in, at the very beginning in Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth, he saw this creation. He created Adam and Eve, man and woman. And he said, this is good. God's creation is good. But we have a problem in our life, and that problem is sin. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God's instruction that introduced sin into our world, and sin is anything that goes against God's instruction, and it leads us to the state of brokenness. I know, I know all of you in here would agree that we live in a broken world. We see things in our world like murder, lying, stealing, cheating, racism. I mean, brokenness goes on and on and on, unfortunately. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what's cool is, you know, I, I, I don't wanna, I'm not going to focus on that. That's a part of it. But God loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us in that state of brokenness. And so what he did was Jesus, leaving the throne of heaven, like I said, he came down to us, took on flesh. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God, and he never sinned. And because of that, because Jesus never sinned, he was able to die the death on the cross that we deserve. Jesus took my place on the cross. Jesus took your place on the cross because he loves you and he desires a relationship with you. Jesus wants a relationship with you. And so you might ask Dakota, man, how do do I start this relationship with Jesus? What's it look like to have a relationship with Jesus? First, it starts with repentance. And that's, that's that's a word in the Bible I love Acts 3.19. It says, repent, therefore, turn back so that your sins may be blotted out. Uh, pastor Steve here, our senior pastor, he, he describes repentance as a turn. You're walking your own way. You're living your own way. You're living in sin. You come in contact with the gospel. You come in contact with Jesus, and you turn your back on sin, and you turn your face towards God. It's a 180. That's where it starts. You repent of your sins, and you ask for forgiveness of your sins. But not only that, You have to believe. You have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, 100% man and 100% God, and that he lived the perfect, sinless life for you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him up from the dead, you will be saved. And it doesn't stop there for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anybody can come in contact and have a relationship with their Savior, Jesus. And then you receive him into your life as your Lord and Savior. And it's a personal relationship. Like I said, we don't believe in religion. We don't believe in in, in a have to to get to heaven. You don't have to do more good than bad to get to heaven. Because Jesus did the perfect thing for us so we could get to heaven. And that's to die on the cross for our sins. And how you receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior, as your personal Lord and Savior, is by prayer of faith. It's no script. It's no, it's no special script. But it's you and God one-on-one. And it's you praying, asking for him to come into your life as your Lord and Savior. And we can lead you through that personal prayer. We have college students ready to talk to you. And so I just want to give you a moment. And if you're somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, but you want to know about that, you you want the opportunity to give your life to Jesus, I'm just going to have you. Nobody's looking around. I just want you to slip your hand up. Because we want to talk to you about the greatest 
relationship that you could have. And it's a relationship with Jesus.